Merry Christmas and welcome back to the Blood and Black Rum Podcast Festivus Series. All month long, we're celebrating your favorite holiday films. Movies like Black Christmas, the 2019 remake. Silent Night, the Silent Night Dummy remake. Jack Frost, the Shannon Elizabeth version, and more. Tune in all December long as we revisit these Christmas classics. Hey guys, welcome back to the Blood and Black Rum Podcast. I'm Ryan from Cultsploitation.com, and I'm joined by my co-host Martin. How's it going? Uh, doing pretty well. Again, disclaimer, coming at you remotely, being safe, distant, all the good stuff. And we are in the midst of our Festivus series for 2020. Just got our nice first snowfall today. Absolutely. Feels good. Feels uh, feels Christmassy in here. It's not going to stick, but, you know, it's been snowing oh, well. all day. At least it's a little bit of a wait for uh, Christmas season because we haven't really had much. Which uh, all the assholes out in full force today when I was out and about driving around today, driving like fucking shit bags. Doesn't surprise me. Did they have a Richard Giardino sticker on their car? Yeah, they might have. And they probably did. There was a couple of them. A couple of people like, you know, like flying through intersections and shit like it's slick out there, even though it's 20 degrees. So it's not. There's not frozen ice and it's just like light snow, but they're all driving like they're. Fucking first timers. They haven't learned. Haven't learned about living in the upstate New York area. Honestly, they should really just send all these troglodytes out to Oswego County for a couple of months. During and then learn. And you get thrown a shit car like I had up there, like in Plymouth Neon. Like, just, you know, like throw them like a Pontiac Sunbird. Here you go. <laughs> oh, make, hey, also. Make, we... make your, I say, make your way in a blizzard from Oswego to Syracuse. Go. <laughs> we should mention, too. Thanks for tuning in to us with Cyberpunk 2077 out. What are you What are you doing? Why aren't you well, playing that? I won't be playing that because I got to work. I know. I'm just kidding. But some people took the day I mean, off. I, I, mean, I mean, I could. I wanted to take the time off, but I was kind of guilted not into to mm. doing that. So. Just throwing that out there. Why are you listening to us when you could be playing Cyberpunk 2077 and modifying your dick? Your penis. Yeah. The important things. That's right. All right, so what are we doing today? We've got on the docket a film that's been kind of uh, on our radar for quite a while. We wanted to cover it last year when it came out, and we were just unable to. For one thing, I had twins at the same time, and so it wasn't a really great time to go out and try to see a film. And And at the other... And it wasn't me... Shown around it, here. So. Exactly. Uh, it wasn't around here at all. So we really had no opportunity to see it regardless. Um, I will say that uh, this film is now going for a ridiculous fourteen ninety nine rental fee on Amazon Prime. I don't know if you saw that. Give Jeff Bezos your money. Crazy. Ridiculous. And I have Amazon Prime. And it was still fourteen ninety nine for me. Blumhouse has got to recoup that money that they didn't make at the box office. I said, fuck it. 
no thank you. I'm not paying $14.99 for this movie that I don't even know if I want to see. Is that just for a rental or the whole rental? Thing? I believe it was just rental. Why would you anyone pay fourteen ninety nine for a rental? I, I have no idea. No idea. You wouldn't but the movie that, you wouldn't have that happen at Blockbuster. I know. Two ninety nine. Or Hollywood and, video or Barber's famous videos. Uh-huh. So the movie that we're talking about is Black Christmas from twenty nineteen, the Blumhouse film remake starring, of Starring John Saxon. Yeah. I wish. I wish. Um, the remake of the original slasher film, the one that inspired Halloween and the other holiday films of, uh, of all the slashers from the eighties. Um, we've already covered the original black Christmas. It was like one of our first episodes. This is one of my favorite movies in general. Um, and it was only fitting to try to tackle this one as well and see what we're up against, which by the way, I was watching, uh, in preparation, to say, I was watching some clips from the original Black Christmas. Um, John Saxon, my, what a handsome young man he was at that point. A delight. He's absolutely gorgeous. <laughs> why Smiley is that? Smiley gives why, when, they, when he spells out fellatio. Yeah, well, I was going to say, like, <laughs> everyone talks about Margot Kidder. Like, oh, Margot Kidder, Margot Kidder. No. John Saxon. That's right. Um, Quick note. There is also a 2006 remake of Black Christmas called, uh, sometimes it goes by Black Christmas, also Black Xmas. Because it's edgy. It's It's the mid-2000s. Exactly. And um, what new metal band scored that film? I don't think any, actually. I think it has a fairly traditional Christmas score. Really? As as you'd expect. (laughs) Uh, But we haven't covered that one yet. So that may be on the list for next year. No, thanks. Yeah, we got to do it. We did Silent Night this year. That was worth it, though. Yeah. So, uh, Black Christmas from 2019 stars my favorite leading lady that I like to say her name of, and I don't really know what else she's been in. Imogen Booth. I was going to say Buttercup uh, Dutch Oven. I love. She's got the female equivalent name of, like, Benedict Cumberbatch. That's right. That's right. Aggressively almost English sounding. I just, I just like poots. The poots scoot and boogie. I love it. It's fun, it's a fun name I, to say. It is. It like I said, it's right up there with Benedict Cumberbatch. Butternut crinkle cut fries. Uh, it would. They would make the perfect couple. That's right. Hollywood needs to work. Get on that. Have her like who would be Doctor Strange's love interest? As we discussed uh, last episode, when we we're we we're prefacing for Black Christmas, it also stars Carrie Elwes, and we questioned long longtime favorite and um, feature player on the podcast. Absolutely, and we questioned, you know, would Carrie Elwes be adopting uh, an American accent? Or would he retain his English accent? Oh, he's hyper British. British, yeah. Posh. Very posh. Absolutely. He's he's got a very, very nice outfit. Um with the uh briefcase, like leather briefcase looking thing and uh nice jacket. There's a nice Halbert Halliburton uh 
briefcase, you know. I just realized we're doing a lot of, you know, uh, man love on here. And you kind of have to in this film, because it doesn't get a lot of manly love in other ways. No, actually, uh, the working title of this film was actually He-Man Woman Hater. <laughs> um, it was originally going to be a Little Rascals spinoff, but uh, Blumhouse realized they make horror films, so... Who uh, was going to play Alfalfa? Imogen Poots. Oh, okay, okay. Yeah, I could see that. You know what? I could see that little... Uh... That little uh, uh, lock of hair sticking up. <laughs> um, we, we joke though because uh, we're we're mostly making fun of the crowd of white male horror fans who uh, virulently uh, did not were very vocally uh, hating this movie uh, when it came out. And as I look at IMDb right now, it sits at a three point three out of ten. Uh, which is still, this, this film got the Ghostbusters 2016 treatment. And, it absolutely uh, did. It and, absolutely um, did. When we reviewed that when it came out, hates misplaced. Yeah, not, know, say, not saying this is a great effort, but your hates misplaced. I am admittedly a giant fan of Black Christmas, the original. And so I was also not open to a remake of the movie and especially when we saw the trailer because the trailer and I will now after seeing the movie I will wholeheartedly say they made a terrible mistake with the trailer um they sh- showed too much they gave a lot of the plot away and I think that was a huge turnoff to people who would come come out and see this film being black christmas fans they really should have stuck to the elements of the movie that do resemble the original film because this movie poster too, uh, that I'm seeing on Wikipedia. Yep. It uh, looks, looks like a very, like, what is this? A horror version of fucking suicide squad. Exactly. Yeah. It, the the yeah. kind of the, uh, suicide squad, like fonty, um, uh, I don't know how to describe it exactly, but, a very, it's almost like vibrantly um, millennial pink. It's not. It's not that like the pink's throwing me off. It's just more like I said, like more like the font and like just kind of like I said, it makes it look like like oh, it's gonna be Black Christmas, but this time instead of Billy coming to kill and rape and pillage, it's them fighting against them because they're the sassy twins or whatever the yeah. hell. Yeah, and, and, and not only that, it, do, it doesn't. I don't think the promotion for this film was good. I, I don't either. It, which is kind of interesting because Blumhouse has historically made some pretty good decisions on marketing and films that they are producing. Yeah, but they and, also they also too have that nice like Roger Corman esque, you know, feature to them. For every great film there is, there's twenty turds. Well, I think part of that is that they are willing to take chances. Uh, which is sort of different from a horror, you know, like you wouldn't see New Line Cinema taking massive chances on certain productions like we see for Blumhouse. How Uh, dare you sully the good name of New Line Cinema? You know what? I was just watching, um, there's a, a Netflix series out called The Holiday Movies That Made Us, 
where they cover Elf, which was a New Line production. Really? And they, yeah, and they talk about the um, issues that they had with New Line, and specifically Bob Shea, the the main man at New Line, who was you know greenlighting all of these films, especially horror films, uh, and how he thought the film just wasn't funny. And so there was all of this, you know, this this huge uproar about, you know, is New Line actually going to produce this movie and stuff like that because they did not want to take chances on um, on stuff that might, you know, not be the normal wheelhouse. Now, look at it. 16 years later, there's International Delight sugar cookie coffee creamer with Elf on it. Stop. Stop. 16 years later? Try 17. Yeah, it's fucking old. Elf is old. I saw it in theaters. I feel old. I my bad. One year off, and you know what? Zoe Deschanel was a couple of years away from you know becoming something. <laughs> that blonde hair wasn't doing her any favors in that film. Yeah, back to back to Blumhouse. I just <laughs> I the, the interesting thing about Black Christmas is that, um, you know they they didn't market it very well. And I think they made not only did they not market it very well, but it also felt like they kind of dropped it, at, at, you know, at Christmas time without much fanfare or the uh, wide theatrical release. It was sort of uh, um, oddly uh, kind of missing from local theaters and things like that. That's why we didn't get it around here. We get every other Blumhouse movie that comes out, but Black Christmas for some reason was just not available in our area. And it was released only like two weeks before Christmas. It says a lot. Well, yeah, but usually, yeah. usually with your holiday films, they're like a month away. That is true. They like early November. Yeah. So the fact that they dropped it like two weeks before Christmas kind of shows they probably didn't have too much faith or backing into the film. Yeah. Which I find kind of interesting because they did take a chance on this movie. Sophia to is not, you know, household name. Um, it's written by two women. It certainly has very feminist um, themes, uh, more so than, you know, some of the other movies that we've covered where we said uh, has had criticism of being feminist. Um, this one is, you know, if you're going to lobby that criticism, Black Christmas is one to throw it at, uh, it, more so than any of the ones that we've covered before. Um and and so you know they they were definitely taking chances. They were definitely reaching for a different audience in this one. Um, this is and again too, the PG thirteen rating did not bode well for a lot of fans who were expecting a Black Christmas remake that was going to be gritty and slasherific, and you know they were looking for the hard R. Uh, the the, ma- the main problem, I mean, the fact that it's not an R is a problem. I mean, I understand. Why they went PG-13? Because as soon as you slap an R-tag on a film, it kills a film's profits compared to a PG or PG-13. Yeah. However, that being said, Black Christmas, again, as we said last time with like Silent Night, Deadly Night, Black Christmas, I know like all you horror fans out here like extol upon the virtues of how great the first film is. It's a fucking niche film. So a remake of a very niche film that's becoming even more niche now that's almost 50 years since its production is not going to really scream to the masses. 
That is true, and it's, it's sort of like, like I said. Like I said, it's not like it's it's not a bad film. It's widely heralded for its you know influence, but again, just because it's popular on the internet, it it doesn't mean it's going to travel in the pop zeitgeist. And Black Christmas has not, because if it did, it had the recognition that Halloween has, which apes a lot from Black Christmas. And and certainly, um, it's it's kind of surprising that this film has had not one but two remakes. It's you know, well that just shows the staying power of like horror f- remakes, though. That it's just it's a genre that lends itself to be remade. I think back in the two thousands, they were looking for any franchises um, to do remakes on. Now we're kind of out of that so much. Um, and I will say that the 2019 version does smack of Sophia Takal being a fan of the original Black Christmas. And we'll talk about that when we get into the, the whole um, the body of this this episode. But, you know, there are definitely some um, some homages. Right. Yeah. An homage or, uh, you know, something paying tribute to the original that I think is missing a little bit from that 2006 remake. Um, So there's definitely some love here. And I do also find that surprising with the amount of backlash that this movie has had, because when you read the reviews for this movie, they are not, you know... Do you think this is the worst film ever put to... Exactly. There's, There's not very many reviews that are, like, lukewarm. There's not some like yeah it's, it's good and bad or you get you get get some and you you take some. Uh, most of the time they're like this is trash. This is this is the worst movie I've ever seen. What a and, bas- uh, it, again it follows the Ghostbusters pr- you know principle of like what a bastardization of this beautiful majestic never done wrong property. Yeah. How dare you you know? Yeah, and I I I definitely do not see that here. I definitely don't think that this was a gigantic misstep uh, from the original film or anything like that. Uh, it's it's not the worst movie you're ever going to see. It is, uh, like you said when we were talking about it before, it is um, you know, not going to be some sort of like affront to your childhood because of the original Black Christmas or something like that. You're, it's, it's just not. And so a lot of the... Um, the hatred for this film can only stem from one place, and that's that they did not like the content of how it was written. And this is coming from two different perspectives, too, because you're somebody who's in- very well ingratiated with Black Christmas, and I only saw it the one time six years ago, so, you know. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and I was absolutely expecting to come in and be like, yeah, this is this is not like the original. It has nothing to do with it, especially with all the trailers and stuff. I was totally expecting that, and I have to say that I did not get that from the film whatsoever. So, I think we'll take a break real quick. We'll talk about uh, the beer we have on the show before we get like way into the details here. Um, and again, because we're distancing, we've got two different beers on the show today. So, why don't you go ahead and start with yours and. We'll work into it. All right. Um, I was at our local beer store today, our nice beverage center, 
And I grabbed myself a beer that I was telling you that I saw last week when I was there. Um, I didn't mention on the podcast, I don't believe. But I went and I grabbed um, Elliot Cottonville Brewing Company. Um, I believe we've had maybe one or two, one or tw- uh, one or two on here, maybe. I think. Mm. I feel I I know we've had like I don't know if we've had them on the show, but I know we've had them. But they have a lovely horchata cream ale. I don't know what horchata is. It means nothing to me, but it's apparently. Spanish or something for uh, brewed with vanilla, lactose, cinnamon, cornflakes. So you you don't know what horchata is? No, because I'm not uh, bougie enough to know. It's like a spiced, mold, cinnamony drink. Milky drink. Is it something you get at Starbucks? Because it sounds like something Starbucks would have. I don't think so. It's Mexican, and I don't know that well, they. I assume do that it there. part from the like, um, like at like the pyramid, like the pyramids they have on the can. Well, you know, I'm I'm just basically surprised that you don't know it from the Vampire Weekend song. In December, drinking horchata. Vampire Weekend, such. Um, I always always like to pretend they're saying drinking hot chowder. Oh, wait, you know what? No, hold on. I'm thinking of Imagine Dragons. Mm. Imagine Dragons is trash. Yeah. I don't know. (laughs) But yeah, so um, I was mainly intrigued because one, it's cream ale. And as if you uh, have listened to any episode we've done with cream ales, we're big fans of cream ales on this podcast. Uniquely American. But this one is a cream ale with cinnamon, vanilla, and lactose. It sounds like a perfect winter cream ale to warm you up during those cold, miserable uh, upstate New York winters. And this is it. It's delightful. This is ab- absolutely delightful. It tastes like like a cream ale. It's got a nice cinnamon spice to it. You definitely taste the like a nice hint of a vanilla. vanilla. You get a lactose feel where it does make it feel creamy and milky, and you get like a nice slight oatiness to it too. Honestly, tastes like a cream ale with like cinnamon toast crunch, like perfectly blended with it. I absolutely enjoy this beer. This is very good. Um, When I was reading the Untapped. Uh, reviews people were saying like oh it just tastes like a lager their palates are garbage if they can't discern like pick out the cinnamon because the cinnamon's not it's not that mild it's pretty uh pretty up front so i have to check it out i i would definitely say check it out it's definitely especially if you like cream ales um it's definitely a nice interesting take um innovative I don't think I've ever seen a like cinnamon toast crunch style cream meal before. Well, this is delightful, and it's something that is nice yet drinkable for uh, the winter, because a lot of winter beers have the problem of being also not just high and bold on flavor 
in their content, but also in their alcohol and hardiness. And it makes it hard to kind of get through a couple. Yeah. Good to hear. So I have a different type of beer on the show. Uh, another winter style beer. Um, this one I picked up because it is uh, for a donation to a local um, um, charity called Toys for Toga, uh, which is uh, for our Saratoga um, area. Uh, so it's sort of like, I don't know, I think pretty much everywhere has Toys for Tots. Well, they have their own sort of specific um, design for uh, Saratoga. So uh, this beer is from Druthers, which is a local brewery. We've had on the show a couple times, talked about them before. Um, they're, they're, they make a Toys for Toga beer every year. And this year is a IPA. Um, this one is uh, five point five point three percent. It is a pretty juicy, uh, hoppy IPA. Uh, they say that it has a berry forward flavor. Um, I don't know. You know, I don't know that I get a particularly berry flavor from it. What kind of berry. There's a billion berries out there. Uh, you know, when Black they say berry, berry, you know how like when you get yogurt and it's like berry blast, they don't really yeah, specify. So it's, just like, so it's like just a random like raspberry, yeah. blackberry, and blackberry. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, I mean, I don't think that the berry is like super forward, but it definitely does have that. Um, I would say it's like a maybe like a cascade hop to it. How about a boysenberry? Yeah, boysenberry. I don't really know what that tastes like too well. Um. But I, I I think this is a pretty solid. It's very light, drinkable, uh, sessionable. Five point three percent, not too uh, heavy. Um, like cream ale's heavier. Yeah, and uh, it is piney as well, which is uh, intentional for the season. So, uh, toys for Toga. If you pick this up, I think Druthers donates a dollar for every pack that they sell, which at like sixteen dollars a pack, they could probably go like two dollars. <laughs> I'm not saying, uh, you know, I, I shun their donation, but maybe in the well, spirit of the giving I season. I want COVID to end so like, we can go there and get, like, giant things and mac and cheese. I was just thinking the other day, uh, I, haven't had, I haven't had a growler in a while. I haven't filled a growler because of the whole situation. <sighs> Excuse me. So, that's disappointing. But yeah, um, I don't think you're going to find Toys for Toga near you if you're listening out of state. But if or you do I, have... I would even say probably out of capital region. Yeah, out of the capital region, yeah. But if you do, pick it up. It's a pretty good, solid IPA this year. And Druthers is also one of our local microbrews. I, uh, I wouldn't even consider them a microbrew, to be honest with you. But um, another uh, local... Uh, brewery that doesn't really do anything that you could ever complain about. I've never had one of their beers and been offended by it. Nope. nope. Salad all around. All right. Let's transition back into he uh, woman hater movie. That's right. Into the uh, the uh, topic of the day. Oh, yeah, I know. It's, it's the sister of the traveling pants but for slasher films. Absolutely. You know what you could also call it? We'll go over this. Uh, the, the Diva Cup? 
the the diva cup yeah uh you could call it the uh let's see how should we phrase this the um you could say it's halloween six uh saw happy death day valentine uh exorcist three and we'll talk about all of that but it's very referential uh not not only just to black christmas the original but uh other horror films and you can if you have a discerning eye and i'm not sure that martin does for certain horror movies um because he's just not a horror buff uh you can i did get the exorcist 3 reference oh you did okay good good I've seen that. Yeah, it's got Patrick Ewing in it as an angel. There you go. Yeah, so it does have a few of those, even actually in The Conjuring too. So it's got some um, James Wan love in here. I've seen The Conjuring too. Yeah, did you catch the reference? Uh, um, no? We'll, we'll, we'll talk about it. Well, I did see The Conjuring 2 in theaters, so. though. No, but not The Conjuring 2, The Conjuring. The original, the first one. Oh, I saw The Conjuring two in theaters. So that that makes sense why you didn't get the uh, particular reference. Well, I didn't see Vera Farmiga anywhere throughout this film. That's true. She's my, not in it to my, to the film's uh, detriment. Yes, exactly. Minus twenty points across the board. That's right. But what we do get is Imogen Poots. Imogen Poots. She's our our main protagonist. Uh. She is a sorority sister uh, in uh, what, what? Hawthorne sorority? College. Well, at Hawthorne College, but what's their sorority? It's like Ku uh, Kappa or something like that. I don't even know. Something. It's uh, some weird Greek letter that I that it starts with, and I can't think of it at the, off the top of my head. Yeah, you're um, right. Kappa Epsilon. Yeah, something like that. Um. She's a sorority sister there in her senior year at Hawthorne College. We get a nice quote at the beginning of the film about Hawthorne College uh, from its originator. I was hoping it was the, the founder of the college was Nathaniel Hawthorne. Oh, that would have been, yeah, interesting. That would have been, you know, kind of a smart-like idea, but, you know. And I think as the film begins, there are two things that stand out to me. Where I was like, I'm not going to like this movie. <laughs> the first one being. All the women are wearing their pants above, like way up, like, you know, like it's 1984. No, not that one, not that one. But that certainly does uh, make you question, what, what's the time frame of this? <laughs> Until you get to like the DMs and the cell phones and the stuff no, like that. No, that's in style now. That's hip and cool again. That's right. You no, know, that's. You should know from your sister. Exactly. That's not what I'm been leading that front for like four years now. That's not what I'm talking about. What I'm actually talking about and what I think many of my movie, my horror film fans would would also recognize is number one. What fucking exterior illumination decorator did this college get to get the goddamn like, what is it (laughs) like 20 foot tall sorority building decorated from top to bottom? Two, what an immaculate, like, both these, like, frat and, um, the frat house and this house. What immaculate, opulent, like, homesteads they are for, like, what's, what is their tuition and board for the year? I know. 70 grand? I know you are very offended by just the ridiculous beauty of the, the 
antiquity of these sorority and fraternity houses. Yeah, it's ridiculous. They're and, living and, basically and living in historical. At least in the original film, it's like just like a regular whole home, like you know, two story like duplex style house almost. Here, it, like they're both like fucking these like, op- just like things you Soul. would. <laughs> You like you would imagine like an emperor coming off like the balcony they have is ridiculous. <laughs> like you know, like fucking Caesar coming out to the amphitheater, be like hear ye, hear ye, you know. So, so yeah, so that's that's number one is the ridiculous ridiculousness of the uh, the sorority itself, and then the decoration that's been done on it because I just don't believe that anybody, be it males at fraternities. Females at sororities. I don't believe that anybody had a fucking cherry picker to go up on, on the roof and layer on this brick building a whole bunch of uh, Christmas lights. Not only that, they did that, but they waited till like Christmas Eve to go and get a tree. Yep, that's ridiculous. People do that, though. especially now that like with each every passing year now, fucking Christmas encroaches further and further into like November. Or October. You got fucking idiots like as soon as Thanksgiving's over it was like Christmas! Yeah. Well that's me. I know that's you. You're part as of the As soon as Thanksgiving's over. Christmas. You're part of the problem. You should have ate enough stuffing and turkey that you're immobile. That you're not able to get up and put up a tree. Okay and so my second big issue with the movie Image is the tree. fake snow. The fake snow. It's not fake. It's real. Every windowsill is dusted with fake snow. That is not how windowsills work. Fake snow does not just accumulate and like pitter-patter on the window panes. It does when you're getting tax breaks from the New Zealand government. Shoot down there. (laughs) I, I... that is one big issue that I, I think we've talked about before is the fakeness of snow. Santa Claus is a good example of uh, Tim Allen running around roughshod and barefoot on fake snow in the, in the middle of December. And anybody that lives in an actual snowy climb would not be caught dead outside without, you know, at least a pair of shoes or sandals even if you yeah, want to be out. Tough guy. I mean, I've done that several times, but you're fucking skipping across the snow like it's lava. Like, yeah. Fuck, fuck. Exactly. So that does, that is one of my biggest pet peeves. And Black Christmas has that, especially on the window sills of every oh, single know, house. I that this college is like smack dab in a suburb. So when we have our first lady like walking home from the library at the school, you have like this fucking like just homes like you know it's like Halloween just all lined up as she's walking down you know it's not in the city or its own little campus it's just it's just there in whatever city we're in yeah it's kind of um the whole thing is kind of uh not centered anywhere um it's you know it's any town USA sort of Wait. thing. It almost feels like they is this the same school they used when Happy Death Day because it looks very similar. Yep. Um I, I think that you hit the nail on the head there with uh 
you know, this film really taking a lot of inspiration, at least from Happy Death Day, from the the sorority campus, the the, the whole campus itself, to the, even the the mask wearing um, aspect. Yep, um, it is very very much um, similar to Happy Death Day. Uh, and not, that, all, not that it's a bad thing, but it kind of robs from the film's overall aesthetic. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, I, 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 I get it because, it, like I said, this is we said this is a lower budgeted Blumhouse film, so it makes sense. But it, you know, it does leave it open to like nitpicking when it comes to things like that. But that's not where the nitpicking in this film, where most people kind of go for. Yeah, I, and and I think that Sophia Tikal actually has a pretty good direction here. She has some really good shots, especially that first shot of the murder scene um, with the icicle, uh, and that she's making a snow angel in the in the snow. I thought that was a very nice um, artistic sequence that they did, and then you know it kind of shifts to the side as she's being dragged away, so that we can get into the actual uh, Black Christmas. Uh, text that that pops up as an you're overlay. Mi- you're missing the fact that that snow angel turns into a giant penis. <laughs> the, I think that she has some very nice, unique uh, f- ideas for photography, and um, so I do like, like you said, some of the homages that you might see as sort of stealing are kind of at a disservice to her because I don't think that that was the intent to steal, but more so to just pay tribute. So it can be kind of misconstrued. Um, so just getting back into the plot a little bit. Uh, so it, it actually, you know, the film has a really kind of a weird opening because it opens in medias res with uh, the attack and then shifts to another sorority, which is Imogen Poots sorority. I'm going to say that. I don't even care what her character's name is. It's Imogen Poots Riley. to me. Riley. Yeah, it's Riley. But it's Imogen Poots to me. And it shifts to Imogen Poots sorority. <laughs> and um, they're later talking on... About, they're talking about girl stuff like, I need a new period pad. <laughs> yes, yes. A very, how, very, how very... Vul- how vulgar very vulgar, disturbing look into the human female body for for all those men out there who didn't realize how which, listen, women's bodies work. I was going to say, which, listen, is it necessary to the film? No. Is it hyper-offensive? No. No. It's not, not at all. Like, I, like I saw pe- like several like reviews, like, reading, like, and, like, the whole, like, her shoving awkwardly, like, a Head down, like, come on! Oh, I love it because like, it's, like, 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 it's not a great idea to have in the film because it's like hammering; it's being too forceful. But at the same time, it's not offensive. If you're offended by that, then fucking go be a Puritan in New England. I don't know what to well, tell you. I honestly don't mind it. I thought it was nice because it was just normalizing. You know, this is what women's bodies do; they get periods. Um. I can like I said, I can see the fact because like it like it does come off as like we're being on the nose. But like I said, at the same yeah. time, it's not anything. Wor- like if you don't find that in p- 
good taste. It's not. It's not offensive, for God's sakes. It's nothing to be, you know. I mean, if we're talking about another film about fraternities and sororities, how about we? How about Van Wilder when they eat cum-filled donuts? How dare you? Why? Why don't we go there then? That's a Canadian masterpiece. <laughs> no, I'm just kidding. Neither are offensive, actually. It's just, you know, if you're if you're offended by one bodily fluid. I don't then, know. Van Wilder is pretty offensive because it's not that good of a movie. <laughs> but anyway, so what I was actually talking about when you went off on this monologue, which is part of a shirt in the film, if you didn't catch that in that beginning part. Uh, we should but, sections called monologues. Monologues. But um, what I was talking about, though, is that opening sequence is kind of weird because it shifts to Imogen Poot's sorority. But later on in the film, we actually find out that it's happening – at the same time as Imogen Poot's sorority's attack. And so we're kind of like recursively coming back to that scene, but it doesn't really make a whole much, it doesn't really matter. So I found that very interesting as a choice to start it with a different sorority and then move back into it later on. I don't know. It just, I don't know what you thought about that, but, but the starting point just seemed odd. No, you're right because it's um, I it, I didn't really see a connection at first because of I mean I just I I think I literally don't see the connection. I don't know why we started here, then worked our way back to it, and then to when the, it didn't really have much of a difference on the overall it, plot. Well, maybe they had like a subplot going on in the two hour cut, but they had like a gotta fucking get rid of this right right i, I, I don't know, know. I, I don't know i thought overall it was a fine enough introduction get a nice icicle you know, killing which is um not common world's strongest icicle too to fucking do the that only, the only icicle that matches the tenacity of this film's icicle is the Christmas story icicle that comes down <laughs> and cuts, uh, cuts, um, the eye of that main character. Wow. What aren't you just looping Bob Clark films here? Absolutely. Uh, what is Christmas without Bob Clark films? <laughs> but I, I thought it was okay. I mean, I, the whole set, I overall, like the whole setup was kind of stupid. Like of her like walking and being stalked, and then like oh, it's she's not really being stalked by Mister Handsome Man. Like th- then they just pick the most handsome like model in the world to like stalk her for like a second, like so she can be creeped out to be like oh, it's a red herring, it's not it's some other creep. Like the only cool part about like the intro is the whole like ice school stabbing, and then her being. Laid out flat like a snow angel, for only for her to be dragged away. That's the cool part. The whole, uh, the rest of the setups, kind of, you know, just it's there. Something later on in the movie. I guess they can't start the film with Imogen Poots like crawling out of bed, and, like and her roommate asking for a diva cup. That you know, true. You've got it. You got to have some sort of intro. I just found it interesting. I mean, I guess. I guess in the scheme of things, it makes sense because it's never happened before at Hawthorne College, but whatever. You know what? 
That's a small nitpick in the scheme of things. But the film center, centers around Imogen Poot's character, Riley, who has um, had a traumatic experience with another fraternity member uh, who date-raped her. And we get that in flashes as the film continues on. Uh, and so they decide, along with her, the rest of her sorority sisters, they decide to um, stage sort of a a um, mocking of the fraternity by crafting a Mean Girls-esque song and dance routine uh, at the fraternity. And this angers the fraternity, uh, of course. You're, for- and, uh, you're foregoing a lot of like the whole build-up of this film of before they even get there. Well, yeah, I, I'm just trying to give a, a, a quick overview um, because no one wants to watch the movie and then listen to us recount the movie again, but... Um, Are you just sure giving... that's what I pay for? <laughs> you you pay for this? Yeah, I do. I'm oh, my God. I'm, I'm part of the Patreon. <laughs> but, uh, yeah, so just, just going recounting real quick, um, you know, so they've got this whole scenario going on, and they're concerned that the fraternity members want retaliation. But in in actuality, uh, Imogen Poots has been receiving threatening messages from the uh, founder of Hawthorne College all along. On yip yap, on on yip yap of all things, um, an annoying WhatsApp clone like thing that makes a weird dinging sound and. Uh, I know her, every, everybody seems most, to have that was the most annoying part of this film is her fucking phones like dinging ding noise that she has set up for like her fucking alerts it's put it on silent well everybody has that that's like the yip yap ding the the chime because uh Helena has it and well, uh, if it's yip yap, how come every time they don't get they get a message, it should be like yip! <laughs> just the most <laughs> just somebody yelling. Bah! Yeah, that would be funny. <laughs> we kind of take away the uh, the uh, suspense and tension if they're you know <laughs> they're being stalked and all of a sudden they get a yip yap and it's like yip. <laughs> Uh, or maybe it would be suspenseful. You could just keep getting these fucking annoying text message sounds. I'm sorry, I'm sorry, not text messages. DMs. Um, two years. The, uh, the film definitely has the, uh, bumbling security guard character locked down. John Saxon, he is not. No, he is not, and to, to be honest with you, he's not a great actor. Um, the guy who plays the security guard. But at the same time, it does have a lot of sandwich love in here. What is up with that close-up shot of him, like, patting a sandwich down after he put, like, a couple of packets of, like, Heinz mayo on it? It's like like a a Tim and Eric sketch where, you know, when he pats the mayonnaise, it would go like... (laughs) Yeah, but there's no noise or anything, and it's like... Yeah, it must be really hard times for him because it's like one slice of ham and a che- like one slice of cheese. <laughs> it's like the saddest ham and cheese you've ever seen. Like it's a whole thing of mayo, and then a nice pat. Like it just, it's, 
just it's so fucking funny, but like just like like what the fuck are you doing? Like why that shot choice out of like everything? Like oh yeah, don't forget like the what happened to that sandwich? That's what I want to know. You mean what what happened after he ate like a bite of it? Well, we didn't see him take a bite. What happened? Yeah, we see him take one bite. He takes one bite in front of her, and then she basically says she wants to go investigate, so he takes her out. So I assume that that sandwich sat lonely on the desk. Sensual. Yeah. Nothing sexier than a man biting into a sandwich. A mayonnaise-filled sandwich. So let's backtrack a little bit. So yes, the the film is about them rusing this little prank and then it seeming to draw the ire of douchebag frat boys. Um, but that's not the whole tale. You're missing out the biggest part of this tale. Give me the biggest part. The biggest part of this tale is our sorority of women who are enlightened members of society trying to spread the good word of how to hate men. You know, you... You make it sound like they're almost uh, like, um, you know, Mormons or something, but that's not far from the truth of the uh, <laughs> the uh, evangelical uh, spread of their their beliefs. So I think this area is where most viewers are having a difficult time with Black Christmas, uh, where. Not too long into the movie, um, we we are sort of slapped in the face with the amount of feminist um, rhetoric that is being thrown. Well, again, the film opens up, I was your secret Santa, and I got you a new vibrator. Yeah, that is so edgy. You know what? You know, if... if, um, Masturbate in 2020. Yeah, me as a man... Can do as it. a as a uh, you know as a lifetime member of the Jackoff Society, was very concerned to hear that women do the same thing. And then, and then, they have the gall to sit through a freshman year class as a senior, complaining about just basic. Common core classics that Carrie Ellis is just trying to teach these people. Carrie Ellis trying to do a very good job with his British accent of teaching the classics. What are the classics? Who knows? What is the context? Who knows? Who knows? But you, all you know is that in this, which apparently for a freshman year class, I mean, I know you went to butt fuck nowhere MCLA, but um. My freshman year classes were not filled with like 30 people. It was like 300 people in a lecture. Yeah, mine were like 30 people. <laughs> yeah, no, I know. If that, like 15. Granted, the classes I took in like those 300 people, like um, lecture halls like that, I fell asleep in most of them because it was all shit that I learned in high school and I was pissed off that I was paying like 18 grand a year to take this class. Yeah, but uh, so which 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 shows you if this school being a private school and all of that 
if you're paying like 70 grand to live in a sorority house and all that, maybe you shouldn't be going to this asshole's class if you're pissed off that he's teaching random classics that you don't like. I'm sure there's another English, you know, another literature class you could take. I don't know. It's too vague. It's too vague to side with the feminazis on this one. Yeah, to, I mean, to be honest, like I said, um, <laughs> I th- I don't mind the feminist critique in here. I think it's actually pretty good. You're right that it is somewhat on the nose, especially uh, in those early moments where uh, you're um, our, one of our main characters, Chris, is very outspokenly uh, feminist to the point where um, even Riley at some points is sort of like, you're you're a little overboard on this, um, and I think that she's got that college spirit. I'm I'm not, which I'm not saying is a bad thing, um, but again, she it's the maybe the naivety, not the na- naivety, not not the naivety. I would say just the more. Good thought, but not looking at how she can spread the message in a more impactful way. Mm-hmm. Which I mean, I can understand. I can relate and understand with her because sometimes, as much as I want to be tactful, I choose no fuck this, burn it all down route. She's got that in her. Um, as somebody's, you know, spreading her message. Um. But she doesn't have a tactfulness to her. Yeah. It's all just, you know, hit that, you know, put that battering ram through. My main problem with that whole bit was, like like you said, when we were talking about before we were, went into the review, they're seniors. What the hell are they doing taking, like, a basics classic literature class their senior year in college? Right, right. You know, they, this like, should be... At that point, it's going to be hyper-focused. So if they're taking classics in, like, Greek you know, mythology, you're going to be having a hyper-focused curriculum that's not going to have fucking Peruvian poetry in it. You know? Yeah, exactly. That whole, whole, like, you know, represent women and, you know, like, that she's trying to promote, that's fine and all, but, like, when you get to that level of, like, whatever class they're taking, then obviously it's not going to be part of the curriculum. If you got worked your way up in the English major decided in like your last year and a half, you want to specialize in Shakespeare. Hey, you know what? You're not going to be fucking reading. You're not going to be reading Bram Stoker's Dracula. Mm-hmm. Cause it's not fucking Shakespearean literature. Right. So, I mean that, that point just kind of bugs me. Cause it's just slo- that it, like it's sloppy writing at that point. That's kind of hinders what the film's trying to articulate. Yeah, and and I think again, like I said, this is this is the uh, contention point for this movie is the 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 feminist critique here, and um, I, I, I while I I think that it's pretty strong and and talking about uh, taking back your power and the toxic masculinity that kind of permeates throughout this movie, um, I think that some of the ways that it is addressed later on in the film become problematic for. Uh, not only, you know, I guess the white male audience that would obviously be uh, not super into that idea, but also the 
the theme itself, the what they what they're looking to get across, because I think it takes away some of the the uh, the power of of that story. Um, one of the ways that that occurs is that in this movie, uh, you kind of get to a point in the back half where literally every man is bad. Um, they are either consciously making a decision to be bad and bring out their inner alpha, or they are the Halloween six route where they are sort of uh, being co-opted by a mystical uh, tarry substance that oozes out of the bust of the Hawthorne College founder that literally draws the alpha male out of uh, each of the individuals. Which I do love the fact that this is like some Alex Jones, Dan Crenshaw, (laughs) Shapiro... Like you know, nightmare fuel of, that, yeah. of you know your masculinity is being taken, and you need to fight back. I do like that, I just think- because it's so fucking ridiculous. Like the whole, oh, be a king, rule. I got news for you, asshole. If every one of you are fucking alpha, none of you are leading shit. Right. It's, you know, that whole, it's whole, so fucking stupid. I mean, which, which, again, like, I know that's what it's critiquing, but it's just, you know, it's just funny. Like, you know, the whole idea. And plus, I I do like the idea. I mean, I, I don't appreciate the fact it goes Halloween six because it's fucking ridiculous. Mm -hmm. Like, all the things that they set up throughout the film but i do like the idea of like they're like you know them using this black mystic goo of the founder of the college you know as a way to represent toxic masculinity and to kind of bring out the worst in these men because it's not saying that like all men are evil it's basically using that as a means of saying like it's a way of indoctrinating men in society because you have I, poor little Landon, who's you know quiet as a lamb and can't even talk, barely talk to Riley, even though he's been apparently smitten with her forever. And then as soon as he gets a little goo on him, he's like, "I'm a king." I, I mean, I I like it because I I totally understand what they were going for in that sense. You know, there is a reason why incel culture thrives because outsiders find that comfort in a cult-like scenario. And that's pretty much what Black Christmas is saying, is that you can have people in that cult who may not necessarily totally agree with those ideas, but they are indoctrinated by them. But at the same time, I found that the ending was quite silly. And one of the reasons is because it takes away a lot of agency from any of the men that ultimately make decisions. You have people that do make decisions to do this, and when you have a black mystic goo, you kind of take away the agency or or the actions that brought those people there. And 
I don't like the fact I think it does a disservice to the movie's theme that they kind of make most of those people uh, indoctrinated rather than making a conscientious decision that that is what they want to be. They want to be alpha. They want to, you know, they literally every single man there has been indoctrinated. And I, I just, I feel like it takes away a little bit from the, from the plotting. Um, and while I totally understand that whole indoctrination bit, it's not lost on me. I just, I, I wanted to see a little bit more of the literally were a, a, a human element to this uh, twist, the finale, rather than a more supernatural element. I mean, I you're right with the whole supernatural element, seeing like seeming and not playing as well. This is where I, I disagree with you because I mean, the whole critique of the whole toxic masculinity identity is the fact that it's something that men are indoctrinated and it's a cult, it's cultural meaning from cradle to grave, it's ideals and principles and thoughts and ways to act that they are raised with that create that. So Mm -hmm. at, at that point, it's not, if you're being taught that throughout your entire life, it's not your agency is kind of lost there. Unless you have somebody along the way kind of pointing like, no, that's a bad choice, you know. Don't do that. It's, you know, it's what you grow up with. That's what it's representing. Um, Never, this film doesn't take into account the fact that you can also have agency to decide not to be indoctrinated, to to break out of indoctrination. You literally cannot within this supernatural realm. You are turned by black goo, and really the only way to be unindoctrinated is to have someone else break the spell of, of that black goo. Yeah. <laughs> no, I mean, I, I mean, I just, I feel well, like it's because. Well, again, like I think, like the it it all very again it, that all varies on like your circumstances in life if you're somebody who's born in a multicultural city with millions of people the chances of something like that happening are slim but in areas like where we live in rural areas just look around you it's all fucking that's what it's like because that's what you're raised with and it's hard to break away from it's yeah. like you didn't make you didn't wake up one day and out of like multiple like toxic masculinity type culture, you know, stereo, uh, cultural stereotypes decide to like just break away from you had the good fortune of having certain people throughout your life touch you that kind of probably would have led you in a different way. Mm. I mean, because again, all you have to do is look at some of your family members and be like, yeah, well, uh, that makes sense. And why you make fun of them. And uh, yeah. some of the friends we have and look at them like, Yep, that makes sense. Like I ha- like we have a friend that's l- looking into getting a fucking dually pickup truck. Why? Cuz it's a fucking dually. Does he need a dually? No, he just wants broom broom go, you know. Wave his dick around. Yeah. You know, that's I, yeah. yeah, like you know, so I I understand that component of the film. I I and I get it and I it's what a nice attempt. It's definitely not the greatest attempt at that kind of uh, thought process, though. I just think it comes off rather silly. And I I also 
may, perhaps it's because the first 45 minutes of the movie are strong and they don't rely on supernatural elements. Maybe that is my biggest complaint is that I wish that it had gone in a different direction for its last half. I think I, you wish it would focus more on like the rape culture, which I think would have been like a better a better thing to focus on too. Because you have like the whole like frat and sorority thing and this frat, you know, being douchebag, you're very stereotypical douchebag frat bro rape culture kind of front. Cause that would tie nicely with the whole sexual assault assault theme that they were going with. Yeah. So that, you know, would have been much more concise and consolidated and Right. And 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 again that people overall, even if it's feminist on overtones, they'd be like, Well, you know, probably shouldn't rape a woman. Yeah, I mean it you know, you, you people wouldn't be so, you know, panties in their bunch, you know, offended, you know, by Yeah, and it again ties in with agency as though, you know, if you were to, to tackle the rape issue a little bit more heavily, um there is that scenario of, you know, someone made a decision to date rape Riley and what are the consequences for that besides just, you know, retaliation from the sorority house. Um, and it doesn't really seem like that is addressed as well when you get to the last part of it where it's a supernatural element and that kind of human element goes out the window. Um, you know, I think the first 45 minutes are very strong because at that point you really think, well, you know, this is, this is a human, this is a slasher scenario, and it's a real person and not like somebody who has been literally supernaturally uh, encouraged to do these sorts of attacks. Um, but it's, like I said, at the same time, though, do, do you think this film could stand up on its own if it didn't like result to using a as a means supernatural elements to kind of describe toxic masculinity. Do you think they could have added enough to describe this not this frat fraternity as, you know, male, you know, toxic culture as itself and like the hazing and stuff like that. Do you think they could have like done that on, on its own to make the film work? Because what, whether they do or not, that wouldn't have affected my judgment on this film. It, whether it be fucking goo, or whether it just be them being bastard people, that wouldn't have affected my opinion on the film. Hmm. The message I was trying to get across. Yeah. Because the message still remains of this culture being existent. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, I do think it would have affected it. I think that the the ending of the movie wouldn't have been so silly. And... You know, I, I just think that it kind of lost the way at the at the end. It has a, like I said, it has a Lord of the Rings type battle sequence. It, um, I just think that it would have been great if Paul Rudd was showing up as Ant Man in that. <laughs> yeah, right. Uh, or an Avengers type, you know, battle sequence. I just feel like the ending. You know, if I was there for like the first ninety or uh, the first sixty minutes, um, the last you know 15 really lost me in the the direction that it went i do think that if it had been a little bit more um light-handed 
and maybe not resorted to the very explicit black goo to signify male toxicity. Because if you did not get that, if you did not pick up on that metaphor, um, I, I really don't know what you were watching or how, you know, if, if like maybe, maybe you are one of those people that watch movies just to be entertained, you know, like that in quotation marks, uh, you don't want to think about movies, but I, I really don't know how you could not, how you could miss that, the toxic masculinity aspect of this. And I think it's a little heavy handed with the whole black goo and everything. If they had gone a little bit more, um, you know, implicit with it, yeah, I, I, at that point, this film has no subtlety to it, though. Right, right, yeah, and, and, and the whole, the whole Chris character, she's a walking, you know, the whole what the right like post of like the triggered memes are. That's what she is. Yeah. I, I I knew you didn't say, you know, all men aren't, you know, like, yeah. Like uh, again, like it's like shit like that that makes you kind of go like, all right, you, you know, you had me first if. You had me, and then you lost me by you, you know, kind of being bitchy about it, you know. Well, I, I definitely, I think that that is sort of the intention with her character as well, is that it's sort of a, you know, in the in movements, there is always someone who is a little bit more extra than other people in the movement. And that tends to have a cannibalization effect, where you have people who you are not... Pure, you have, like, purity tests. Exactly, exactly. And and one of that that sort of happens with um uh what's her name? Marty's boyfriend, who is what you would consider an ally, and then they sort of cannibalize him as well. Uh he got a headache and told them they're being hysterical, and he is right. Well, <laughs> aspect is part of the toxic masculinity because that it, it you know that seems like that's also a symptom is that you get a massive migraine because of a weird uh buzzing sound in your ear the and estrogen sinking and linking up he's like after having a couple of beers he's like i can't deal with this anymore i think there is some commentary there in that which that whole scene is kind of lost too because i feel like they cut out a whole bunch because they both come off as being reasonable like him being like, all right, you're being obnoxious and hysterical is right. But at the same time, they cut out dialogue to where it doesn't sync up as much. Because I just he, think that doesn't ma- really match with what the character we've seen thus far for him. And I guess you could say it's because of the toxic masculinity, but yeah, that's the whole point of like, it's because it's supposed to be like, oh my God, like, you know women and you're bickering but like he's got a point but it's law lo- it's almost lost because like they cut out i think they cut out dialogue in that scene because you just have you know like i'm just having a trying to have a conversation here i'm just trying to have a conversation here and she's, she's just being you're being hysterical and then at one point when he comes back and there's the uh, fraternity oh, pledge in the house and so he literally stupid. says, you know, I'm a man. I'm <laughs> so fucking stupid. Got to get out of here. There's someone trying to kill us. No, man, I'm going to fight him. <laughs> yeah. Again, it's, it's another one of those silly, really over the top moments that sort of clashes with some of the other parts of this movie that are, a little bit more implicit and um, 
again, the first 45 minutes, I feel, are very strong. It, it definitely has a good pace to it. It, um, it has the... Yeah, exactly. It has, an, it has its um, homages to the other films, uh, and especially the original Black Christmas. You've got all that in there. And then once you hit about you know, 50 minutes, maybe 60 minutes... No, uh, it, you're, it, you're right. It does go off the rails. It, yeah, you're throwing it right out the window. You're throwing the remake part of it out the window, and you are literally having every single male character, the suspect slash the killer um and i feel like it again it it that is so obvious from the get-go of where it's going you know there's already the question like who's the killer is it carrie elwes's character is it the guy who date raped riley is it uh one of the other guys you know like the the guy that was um trying to have sex with helena uh hey guess what at the end it's all of them um We've, I think we've covered another film. I can't remember what film it was, but there was another film that we covered where, again, literally, it was everyone that we that you know was a suspect. It's everyone. Um, Voices of a distant star. I don't know. I can't remember. But I, I do. I find that problematic because, like, you're trying to have your cake and eat it too. You're like, well, for uh, you know, a majority of the film, we've been making you question. Who is the killer? Hey, guess what? It was everyone. I feel like overall they're just trying to kind of point to Carrie Elwes. Uh, Yeah, like uh, being the the either the main killer or the guy who's like kind of. I mean, he's fucking stupid too, though, because he's a tenured professor and he's like, oh no, this petition, petition of people trying to get rid of me because of like sixty names because I say that this you. Authors don't write with language specific to gender. Well, you shouldn't even be a professor then, because obviously you're a fucking idiot. Because that whole that whole bit pisses me off of Imogen Poot sitting there, you know, giving her explanation on what she thinks the author's trying to say, and then him being like, "Well, actually, that wasn't a man; that was a woman, and this is why there's no such thing as, you know, gender bias in writing." It's fucking stupid. That that's like stupid. I'm not even a goddamn English major like you are. Like that's like just fucking stupid. That pissed me off. Yeah. Well, we've so talked it. Fucking dumb pre- preposition. Like if you're taking a fucking literature class on the basic classics, and, t- and then apparently talking about the patriarchy. What like what what the fuck were you reading? That uh, talks about the patriarchy and deals with that because they had that whole fucking flow chart in the background. Right. Like that whole bit just pisses me off because it's it's taking a shot at liberal arts education for not being you know inclusive enough. Where it's it's like you don't even know where to begin on that. Like where again, like I said, where do you begin on that? If you're taking like a basic class on the classics, that could mean a whole wide array of things to anybody, depending on you know who they are and what their background is. Mm. But if you're like I said, if you're a fucking senior taking a class on classics, it's not going to be the classics. It's going to be like English literature of the 20th century. Mm. You're going to be reading like Animal Farm. 
Well, expecting that, like you know, that just you know, that just annoys me. We've talked at length about the film's feminist uh, themes and underpinnings. So, how offensive is this movie to white men on a scale of Tom Hanks to Ben <laughs> Shapiro? How 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 much is this going to topple the patriarchy, causing white men everywhere to fear for their lives? Zero. Like the people who get incensed about this shit, like this film's trash because it's preaching this. Well, if it's that bad, like with Ghostbusters twenty sixteen, if it's that bad, why are you, why are you giving it credence? Like, if you don't agree with it, then you don't agree with it. But if you're like again, as like the greatest one of the greatest boondocks jokes jokes ever when they're talking about how what a uh, nigga moment is. And then how it affects a white person. It's like, wait a minute, I'm white. So even if like this offends you, like, how does that affect your life? Doesn't affect you. So if even if like if you're a white cis male and all like this offends you, at the end of the day, you can be like, doesn't impact me. Exactly. And like, nice nice try though, but you know this doesn't fucking affect me. So you know the fact that you're getting your, t- you know, your panties in a bunch about it means like, you know, like, oh, I've got critical thinking to do, but not going to do it. And this film is not even that smart to be that much of a fucking thinker, to be honest with you. Yeah. And, and it, you know what? Very open. It's, it's, um, it's not made for white males. You know, it's not, it's not a film specifically. Yeah, exactly. It's not, it's not marketed and portrayed for white men. And that's fine, you know, and we have to, I think that horror film fans, specifically white men, have a very difficult time thinking that, you know, movies should be catered towards anybody else. Like, like what does it matter? Like, whether it be, like, I saw, like, I saw some people be like, well, you know, I'm not uh, misogynistic because uh, I'm a fan of horror films and especially slashers and there ain't nothing more, you know, more or less misogynistic than Final Girls. What are, right. what are your thoughts on that? Uh, I, I absolutely agree that, for you know, I, I, I wouldn't say every slasher is this way, but there are certainly some iconic slashers that are very empowering. Um, some have... Uh, taken the sexual element of like what Halloween has to the extreme a little bit, yeah. But uh, we'll- by having to desexualize their their main powerful empowered character, but yeah, but most of them, like even like Lord, you would never say Laurie Laurie Strode as a final girl is like oh empowering. She doesn't do shit. I would say Laurie is. You know, there's been quite a few feminist studies written about her, and while I may not agree with some of the critical uh, analysis of these things, uh, they actually, and in and, and, and actuality, I think some of them are detrimental to the 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 um, empowerment of her as a female because they tend to see her uh, with more masculine tendencies, like uh, her keys as a uh, literally phallic image and things like that. Like that, that I think is. Uh, Kind of, what did you say? Ridiculous. Well, I I find it ridiculous, but in a critical sense, I also see it as um, 
you know, they're emasculating a female character for no reason. You know, just because she has keys in her hand doesn't mean that she it was literally in a uh, a phallic symbol or something like that. I think that takes away from the power of femininity. My point is, she's not, like Laurie Strode is not fucking Ripley or Sarah Connor. Correct. She's so, a different sort of character. Well, I, that's my point, though. Most final girls aren't these fucking like arbiters of feminine justice. They're just survivors. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. You know, so be like the same thing with this film. Riley's not like, you know, I wouldn't say this arbiter of feminine justice. I mean, that's what they try portraying at the end after the fucking, you know, He-Man battle, but she's not, I wouldn't say like an arbiter of fucking justice. Right. She's not Ripley fucking no. tearing through everyone or fucking Sarah Connor tearing through No, no I, I think the m- main intention was really to say she's an every woman and as an every woman, you can do this too. It's not just for men. That's right. Except for just for men hair gel. That's just for men. Well, that's for you know, Walt Clyde and uh, Keith Hernandez. So we've probably gone fairly long on this show, but we have not talked about the references yet. So I'm curious to see what references you picked out, whether they be uh, actual Black Christmas you know, homages or uh, other movies. What what did you find? Um, the icicles supposed to be like the unicorn from when in the original where they mm-hmm. killed Marco Kidder. Mm-hmm. Um, the Exorcist three homage of poor Franny getting uh, chased and while she's looking for a cat. Certainly not as uh, effective as Exorcist three, but a nice. Uh, shot all the same. Doesn't have overall really anything fucking noteworthy on the scare totem pole, which that that mainly is like the last calling card when people come to bitch about this film. They bitch about everything like, oh, it's not scary. I get it. This film, especially because it's PG thirteen, there's nothing nothing gruesome, gory. Um, about it, it relies heavily on jump scares. Which, on the scare factor, and just being like a nice, threatening slasher, doesn't succeed at all. But I would say, overall, though, it's entertaining enough to keep you engaged. Yeah. So... Ones that we didn't talk about for references. Um, there is a reference to bag. Nightmare. Well, I'm sorry. What? I say the nice like bag choking. You know. Absolutely. Yep. The bag choking, which is kind of turned uh, the opposite direction. Instead of of the woman as the victim, it's one of the killers as the victim and the bag choking. Um, there's a nice attic scene uh, where she's killed with uh, Christmas lights. Um. There is a scene that is very Conjuring-esque, and I'm not sure if that was intentional or not, but um, where um, it's the same scene, actually, in the attic, where she's uh, looking at the Christmas lights, plugging them in to see if they work, turns them on, boom, we get a zoom in, and uh, 
a jump scare quickly. That's uh, right out of The Conjuring when um, she's going down into the basement and she clicks on the light and there's the ghost behind her. Yeah, she is. <laughs> um, what else did we even talk about? Oh, um, I heard Vera Farmiga going down. Sorry. Oh, sorry. No, not Vera Farmiga. It's the uh, mom from The Conjuring, so not Vera Farmiga. Um, the other one is that I that I definitely picked out um, is the uh, a reference to um, Saw, no less. Oh, so be- we get Carrie Elwes, and I'm not sure if it is intentional or not, but there is uh, like one scene of a specific music cue that sounds straight out of Saw. Ah, uh, yes, the Chester Bettenfield suicide track. Other thing, too, that's somewhat <laughs> like Saw. <laughs> Go on from that offensive joke. Uh, the other uh, thing that's like Saw is the final flashback sequences. That's sort of like the wrap-up. <laughs> huh So I'm Chester Bettenfield. <laughs> uh... And, oh, Claude the Cat. This time it's Claudette, but... Did you stick around post-credits? Yeah, licking the... Licking the blood. Oh, yeah. Should have been uh, shawarma. You know what uh, I like, too? That was a riff on the original Black Christmas with the um, Claire in the attic. Is the shot of Riley walking out from the sorority house and Franny's up kind of freezing and dead on the uh, on the balcony. And you kind of get both at the same time. I thought that was a very inventive shot. Yeah, I like that too. It just made me more... <sighs> Excuse me. It just made me more pissed off at that fucking sorority house. Alright, so... <laughs> we've got to give Black Christmas a score. Uh, so, a uh, ten. A uh, ten, yeah. not John Saxon's. No, I was gonna go with out of ten diva cups. Seems only apropos. How dare you talk about a woman's vagina bleeding? They don't do that. They're full of mint. I do have so, a del- I do have a delightful mint and rosemary. Hand soap right now in my bathroom. Oh. So out of 10 Diva Cups, what would you give Black Christmas, the 2019 remake thing? I'd give it a 6 out of 10. Honestly, it's I, I don't find it that offensive. Honestly, the people who found this film to be so bad and excoriated so, have you ever seen a really bad movie? Like, if this is the worst tripe that you've ever seen in your life, you lived a pretty fucking privileged life to sit down and watch this film and think it's the fucking worst thing in the world. It's not. It's very media. It's an overall mediocre Blumhouse film. And overall, a very mediocre slasher film. It doesn't have a lot of slasher elements. Not very scary. Doesn't have the horror aspect. Because it went PG-13. 
it does uh, push a feminist political ideal. But it's not offensive. It it's very forward and like very I shouldn't say forward, but um, very in your face with what it's trying to say. But it's not anything if you have fucking half a brain worth being that offended about to be enraged about. Overall, I'd say the people, the players in this film. Uh, from Imogen Poots to Carrie Owls and the rest of the cast. Um, entertaining. They don't do that bad. I think for the time that this film was shot in, because it was shot in like ridiculous time and not on that big of a budget, not that doesn't look that bad at all. Uh, outside of the fake snow. Um, this is far from being a offensive film that you should never dare to see. If this isn't like your like a one star film to you, then don't fucking watch Mako. Cause you don't know what a bad film is. You don't know. You're just upset because it talks about vagina power. Ooh. It's not stop. Stop yourself. Yeah, I I, I agree. I would probably give this a well, I'm going to say a 6.5. I think it's, um, you know, I, I definitely don't think it's an offensive film. I don't, I thought it was fairly entertaining. I was really into it for about the first 45 to 50 minutes. Um, actually, I, actually, I, I hate to interrupt you, but the more I think about it, the, more, the whole Halloween 6 bit, the more I'm kind of enjoying that part. Because you know what? It's one of the more enjoying parts about Halloween 6 is the fucking, besides Paul Rudd, is the whole fucking cult aspect. You know what? Kind of, it's kind of growing on me. Yeah, I mean, I was definitely into it for the first, you know, half of the film. Once we got to that cult element, I was kind of out of it, and I definitely did not like the conclusion where you have a sort of Avengers Lord of the Ring style battle sequence and stuff like that. I I thought that got a little silly at the end, uh, but I do think that the references to Black Christmas are good. I think Sophia Takal has a good sense of direction and uh, had some choice shots in here that I think are they bode well for her as a director. Um, I think that if you are a white male and you're not a fan of Black Christmas, no one really gives a shit. Don't watch it next time and, and you everybody will be fine. This obviously was not a film marketed to them in particular. Uh, and it certainly does have a rather explicit feminist bent to it, but um, I think that in in many ways that's fine. It's not, you know, it's not offensive. It's not uh, as bad as people are making it out to be. Um, and you know what? I'm just not surprised that many people have been very outspoken about this film because it is unfortunately an issue that we have not gotten past is that you know films don't have to be for everyone and um they do not have to be marketed to the same white male audience that all the other ones are so uh i it's it's just foolish yeah like get over it 
Wolfpan. Like I said, like you can critique a film, but when like you're putting, like putting like your politics, because you you're critiquing the film on its politics. When you're putting yours above that, like like you're doing the same damn thing. Yeah, and you know what? Um, I've enjoyed it for the most part, and uh, as a Christmas film, I think it's it's pretty good. Uh, you know, it's got quite a bit of Christmas in it, though I do take offense to the exterior uh, illumination team that had to, you know, decorate that giant sorority house. I just don't believe it for a sorority. But other than that, I did appreciate all the Christmas, um, you know, additions that they made to this film. And I really, even as a black Christmas fan of the original, I'm... I'm fine with this remake. You know, it's not... Hell, hell, not only that, the original Black Christmas is pretty feminist, too. Absolutely, yeah. What, <clears throat> are these people not offended by the fact that our main character wants to have an abortion? Yeah, because I agree. sex with the troglodyte who voted for Rich Giardino. <laughs> yeah. yeah, I mean, the original Black Christmas is very feminist. Um, it is a it kind of an outlier in uh, the slasher genre for that reason. Um, so yeah, it's it's kind of hypocritical. So, interestingly enough, we came out of this film uh, happier with it than we expected. I honestly didn't expect bad things from it. I wanted to see it when it came out. I didn't really give a shit. Like I. I expected I, bad I, things because I of like, the trailer. I, I like Blumhouse enough to where I... After Halloween, I'll fucking see anything. Yeah, I trust them. Because, you know, Halloween is so fucking good. But, I mean... Like I said, though, I mean, like... It's... it's nothing... Like, if this is, like, the worst film you've ever seen, you've lived a fucking privileged-ass life. <laughs> To like, you know, I like I said, I just find it funny because all these people are like worst film ever made, and that's the same thing with Ghostbusters. Like worst film ever made. You don't know. You don't know what a bad film is. Then that's what your idea of a bad film is. You don't know. Read. All right. So next week. We're going to step away from slasher films for a little bit. Oh, we are? We are. What are we doing? We are. Well, I'll tell you. I'll let, uh, actually, our good friend Bill Murray will be uh, taking over. Oh, we're week. finally doing Rock the Cash Ball? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, finally. No, we're doing Scrooge next time. You oh. seen Scrooge? No. You've never seen Scrooge. Never. Well, I'm going to give you a hint. It's a Christmas Carol. I know. I know. And I it's know not what? Patrick Stewart. How dare you? Well, that's that's a hard one. Bill Murray or Patrick Stewart? Mm. That's a hardy. They're both so great. So yeah, Scrooge next time. And then Jack Frost starring Michael Keaton. 
<laughs> we still haven't made a decision on that one. I didn't specify on the on the um, the graphic for it. So I, I I still I still say we go with the Michael Keaton one. Just a guy that plays in a band. This is a Bruce Springsteen wannabe. Just playing a band, and I gotta go on the show. Can't talk to my kid because it's Christmas. I gotta go on the show. And then he dies. That or we should do Snow Day. Let's do Snow Day. No, these are set in stone, man. Can't change them now. You don't want to do Snow Day with Josh Peck? I think you mean with Chevy Chase. Oh, yeah, the weatherman. Yeah. yeah. I saw Next that in theaters, too. And the Michael Keaton's uh, Jack Frost. Oh. All right, so if you want to check us, check back in with us as we do our Scrooged episode for Festivus 2020, you can find us on any podcast app, uh, iTunes, Stitcher, Google Podcasts. We're on them all. Subscribe to us. Leave us a nice review. Uh, we are also on Facebook at facebook.com slash bloodandblackrum and Twitter at bloodandblackrum. Follow us on those. And we have an email address at bloodandblackrumpodcast at gmail.com. Write to us. Let us know what you want us to cover on the show for next time. Uh, Until then, uh, we will see you back on December 18th for our Scrooged episode. Hoping your holidays are nice and cheery. Take care. Oh, time to make a steak.